In recent years in America and Europe, there's been an explosion of interest in all things Native American. Articles with titles such as A Shaman Mended My Broken Heart are appearing in lots of magazines with an emphasis on personal growth. It's all beautifully packaged and they're selling well and they're probably inspiring people. But I can't help think how ironic it is that Native American spirituality, which seems to have a very non-materialistic, earth-based focus, is being promoted and sold by the descendants of those who tried to wipe the people and the culture out. And I've been wondering what my friend C.J. White Deer makes of it all. I've known him for 12 years. He's Cherokee and has been a medicine man for most of his seven decades. And for this edition of Things Unseen, I've come to the Sonoran Desert in Arizona to visit him at the modest adobe home he built. It's surrounded by the tall, distinctive frames of saguaro cacti, many of them with arms jutting out and up to the sky as though in prayer. And there's a fire pit here outside with tree stumps around it where people sit for talking circles. Well, greetings and welcome to the circle. Thank you, CJ. Thank you. Tell me about the circle. The circle here is what is traditionally known as a homecoming circle. A lot of the people in this area have Cherokee heritage. They're not on any enrollment forms anywhere, and yet there is a part of them that's very traditional and very Cherokee. And the circle is put together to bring them back in and welcome them back home to the original traditional Cherokee ways that just never had any traditional Cherokee teaching. Right, because we're nowhere near a Cherokee reservation here, are we? Nowhere near. The closest you come is Tullahoe, Oklahoma. That's my home. You have many non-Native people come here for teaching and for healing work. And people in the West in general are very fascinated with meds and men, indigenous traditions, Native Americana, if you like. Why do you think that is? A lot of people in their spiritual life know that there's something missing. And what they try to do is they try to integrate a religion that they practice on one day a week into their life, and it doesn't fit. And being Cherokee is not a religion, it's a way of life, something that you live 24-7. And you do your best to stay within the confines of those beliefs that you have and stay true to them and honor them. Do you think it's a good thing that people are interested in this avenue, or do you think there are dangers that your sacred teachings could be used, abused, misused somehow? The problem is always there. That's one of the reasons you'll find that most of the Native people are so reticent to even talk about their spiritual beliefs, including Cherokee. We don't talk about them very often. I know you're being very careful not to generalize because you're saying, I'm Cherokee, and really there is no sort of Native America in the ways that many Westerners would understand it. But would you say there is a common denominator, that there is some sort of thing that connects a Native worldview? I I do. There's a phrase, if I'm not mistaken, it's Lakota, and it's Matakwia Oyesun, and that means we're all related. So because somebody's living in Germany and somebody's living in Australia, they're still part of the family, and that family is the people that are here. And we divide into little clans, little groups, and different tribes. But when it really comes down to it, there's one tribe, that's the people here that are on the planet, that's us. And there are connections, aren't there, at a basic level in terms of the way creation, Mother Earth, is cared for, venerated. Would you say that there is something that suggests an Earth-based spirituality? 
I do, but one of the things that happens is that that kind of goes very awry when you start adding in money. People will sell their land, they'll sell their birthright, and these are not new things. Uh, if you understand the Bible, you know there are people that sold their birthright even back in the Old Testament for a piece of land or for a bowl of soup or for something. But with the native people, all native people understand, you can't own the earth. Tell me about the creation story for the Cherokee. Where, as a Cherokee, were you told you came from? The Cherokee, as I was taught, came from the stars. We came from the Pleiades. And from family to family or clan to clan, the story changes. But basically, we came here on what we were told were wings of silver that were completely silent. And that there were two groups that left, quote-unquote, the home planet in the Pleiades. And one group came to the Earth, and another group went out into the constellation of Orion. In the belt of Orion, there's supposedly a dwarf star. And around that star, there's another planet that is very similar to the Earth with the understanding that at some point in the future we would all come back together and go on with the rest of our lives the way that they were. And one of the things that I hear whispers of on occasion throughout the tribe is that we're coming close to those times when the two parties that left the home planet will be coming back together. You talk about a story that many people would see as a myth, but as I understand it, you don't really see much difference between a story being true and a story... I mean, all stories are true. They're stories, right? They're stories, and they're all true. Truth, it's like the creator. It's in the eye of the beholder. So with the myths, what we do is we understand that there is always truth in them. There's always something to learn from them. Whether these things are exact, whether they're analogies, little homilies, little lessons for us to learn from them, that's neither here nor there. With our stories, we try to make the stories very, very strange. That way, when you tell them to your children, the kids will remember them. And it keeps the the oral part of it alive. Most of the history of the Cherokee is oral. We do have a written language. In fact, one of the first books that we literally translated from English into Cherokee was the Book of Matthew. And don't you have something similar to the Jesus story? I think every tribe from South America all the way up into Canada. They'll have stories where a battle or something was going on and this man appeared. And the man seems to always appear pretty much the same way. There's something going on and there's just like a flash of light and then there's a man standing there and he's in a white robe and his skin is kind of the color of polished brass. He has kind of a dark red hair and a red beard. And with the battles, he tells the people, you can't keep doing these things. You know, you're going to kill yourselves, and I come here to help you. And there are stories where he healed the people that had been wounded and brought them back to life and did all sorts of wonderful things. And as the story was told to me, he spent 40 days with the people here that are Cherokee and the Native people and then told them, now I have to go. And we told him, no, don't go. Stay with us. We'll make you a nice lodge. We'll take care of you. And he said, no, he said, I have to go because I have to be killed. He said, I have to be raised up on a stick. And we said, we won't do that to you, so stay here with us. And he said, I know you won't do that to me. That's why I have to go, because that has to happen. That has to happen. So we have that. Some people call him Jesus. We have him known as the Great White Brother. There's a whole bunch of different names. Maybe because you have those stories, it was easier to accept Christianity when tribes were evangelized. It might surprise some listeners to hear that many Native Americans are, in fact, Christian. I understand that, and... 
in the reservation Tahlequah rough numbers, I'd say that at least 80% are Baptists. And I understand Christianity, and I don't deny it. But Christianity, as we as Cherokee and as I've been taught, is not quite the same as what people that call themselves Christians see. What we found was that these people that told us that they were Christian and how wonderful they were killed us, poisoned us, and did horrible things. And we started realizing that not everybody said they were Christian, practiced those things that Christ told them to practice. And the difference is that we don't try to practice what Christ taught. We try to practice something that keeps us in harmony and balance. That turns out to be what he taught, but we don't do it because this one man came along and said, this is who I am and you have to do it, and if you don't do it, you're going to hell. Hell is the white man's thing, just to scare you. It's kind of like the booger man. keeps everybody in line and keeps them from doing things they shouldn't do. As Cherokee, we don't see a, a creator that's vindictive, that's hateful. And what we're supposed to do is try to model ourselves after that creator. We call him grandfather. And the reason we call him grandfather is most of the time when the children were raised, they were raised by the grandparents. And we were told to think of our grandparents the same way we think of the creator. He's a grandparent. And you can talk to him about anything. And unlike your parent who will chastise you and punish you because you've done something wrong, a grandparent will sit you down and say, look, here's what you did. And here's why it's not appropriate behavior. And we learn from that. And from that, we try to change our behavior and try to be a little bit better being, not because we're afraid of going to hell, but because you know it's the right thing to do. But as a younger man, you were actually ordained into a Christian church, weren't you? I was ordained in the church, and... Which one? Let's just leave that. But uh, I had a, a collision with the church and with the religion with regard to certain rituals. You mean your healing work? The healing work, and... I was told, don't do them because uh, if they don't work, then people are going to walk away from the church. And my attitude at that time was, I'd rather do it and find out that it doesn't work and move from there than to say, well, I know it won't work and never have tried. So that was a turning point for you, and, and you were called back to what you knew, to what you were raised in as a child, which was essentially you were spotted early and you were to be raised as a medicine man. Right, For me, what was important was serving the Creator. That's what I wanted to do as a five-year-old. I wanted to serve the Creator. How were you chosen? Are you chosen as a medicine man? Are you spotted? Did you have particular gifts? With every person, it's different. With me, there was an illness that brought me very close to death, near-death experience at the age of four, when I came out of this problem that was going on where I was unconscious for almost four days. I didn't speak English anymore. The only language that I had was the Cherokee language. And at the age of four, I hadn't learned the language. But I had a grandfather that understood the language, and he said, there's something going on here. And he connected me with a great-grandfather that connected me back in with some of the people in North Carolina. And at the age of seven, was taken down into North Carolina, spent pretty much the end of a summer there, and sitting with the elders, and the elders would talk to me and ask me questions and ask me about what had happened when I was ill, where was I, what was going on, and talk with them. And at the end of the summer, I was dedicated. And dedicated means that my teachers were allowed now to come to me, help me to understand what was going on in a medicine way. And it started part of the journey. And I also had a family that was very English and very tied into religion. And 
had a mother and a stepfather saying, you've got to do this, and a grandfather saying, don't worry about that, do this. And I just rebelled from all of it at the age of 17. I couldn't be good in either one of them. I couldn't be what they called a good Christian. I couldn't be a good Cherokee. And I found that I just wanted to be good and to walk the path and do those things with the Creator wanted me to do the type of work that we do we work with energy never call myself a healer we just work on an energy system the body does the healing sometimes said that if you ask someone if they're a healer if they answer yes then they're not one right <laughs> a real healer would never claim to be such i don't know about that i've met many people that were healers and they did some great work and i've also met some people that said they were healers that did absolutely nothing The medicine man or woman is said to spend a lot of time in what's been called non-ordinary reality, doing things such as taking the form of an animal, astral travelling, engaging with the spirits of plants. Is that the sort of thing that you do? It sounds so wacky to people who've never experienced that. For me, no. About the only thing that I connect in very deeply with is the deer. And uh, that's a very, very long story, but I connect in and see things at times through the eyes of a deer. And uh, Your last name, of course, C.J. White Deer, right. which denotes your clan, is that right? Right. And it's not that I become a deer, but I see through the eyes of that creature. I don't shape-shift or whatever they call it. I don't transmutate into another creature, but uh, that doesn't mean that they don't happen. I've had too many incidents where I've seen people do these things right in front of me where I don't know how they do them, and I don't want to do them, but I see it happen. You see it energetically. For instance, if I was sitting here, I wouldn't see it, right? You would have to have special sight. No special sight, nothing. I can recall as a child, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and several of their friends on Saturday evenings would go out into the woods. And believe it or not, they'd each take a couple bottles of beer, and they'd go out and they'd start their fire, and they'd sit and they'd talk, and they'd have a couple bottles of beer, a bottle of beer here, a bottle of beer there. And this would start maybe at 8 o'clock at night and finish up maybe 2 in the morning with these men. And I snuck out one night and sitting there in the woods watching. And as I watched, I saw one man turn into a turtle. And I saw another man turn into a wolf. And I had no idea what was going on. All I know is what I saw. And you hadn't been drinking? Nope, not then, not then. But uh, the next morning, breakfast, my grandfather said, Well, what did you see last night out there in the woods? And I told him, he said, when people tell you that this can happen in the future, you'll never doubt them. Now, that doesn't mean... Does it matter that the rest of us doubt? Do you care that the rest of us think what you do is really wacky? That's okay. If it were not for certain experiences that I had, I'd say it was crazy and wacky too. Another example, there's a particular tribe, won't get into it, one of their ceremonies is honoring the young women into adulthood, womanhood. And when this happens... They gather the young ladies that are going to do this, and they take them out into the woods or the desert, wherever they may be, and there's a very large basket. And each of these young women put an eagle feather in the basket, and then they start singing. And as they sing, they start moving. And after about 20 or 30 minutes of this, the eagle feathers start dancing around in the basket. Now, you can say that's crazy, it can't happen. When you see it happen, and you know that you're not in a trance, you're not hallucinating, that this is exactly what's supposed to happen, this is showing these young women that as you go from that child into an adult, you have great power. And that has to be used in a very careful way. 
And you wouldn't have taken peyote or hallucinogenic substances? I tried peyote once and was invited to the reservation for peyote ceremony and had to walk around the lodge this many times and around this many times and I did it, and I went in and did the peyote ceremony. Peyote's like magic mushrooms, kind yeah, of, isn't it? Very same thing. And uh, it connects you with the creator, alters your state of awareness. And the only thing that happened with me, I got very, very sick, very sick. And that was the end of it. And about two weeks later, I was awakened from sleep. And at the foot of my bed stood a woman. And I said, who are you, and how the hell did you get here? And she said, you know who I am, and how I got here doesn't matter. I said, it does matter, and I don't know who you are. She said, I'm the spirit of the peyote, and if you ever come into my lodge with the lack of respect that you showed me the last time you were there, she said, I'll not make you sick, she said, I'll take your life. Do you understand that? I said, I understand you 100%. I've not gone back to the peyote lodge since. I won't do it. I don't know that I could have enough respect to save my own life, so I just won't put myself in that position. So when other people say, well, that was a hallucination that happened two weeks later, it doesn't matter. It changed something. Tell me, what is the role of the sweat lodge? I assume you've led people in sweat lodge ceremony before? With each group, it's different. Sometimes it's a communal sweat. There's a, a cold going around or some kind of bug, and the sweat lodge is one place to, to cleanse the body. And basically, that's what the sweat lodge is used for, for cleansing. And it's not just a matter of cleansing the physical part, but it's also a matter of cleansing that spiritual part of who we are. It's very sacred. It's not just a matter of going in and getting rid of a bug, although it is used that way. Because it is very intense heat, right? Mm, Depending on the tribe and those people that are running the sweat. As Cherokee, it doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be intense. All it has to do is get you sweating. And when people come to see you, and they come from all over the the States at the very least, what do they come for? Do they come mainly with physical problems they want you to help with, mental, spiritual? All of the above. And what I try to do is look at the energy field around that person, see if there are any problems with it, with what they call chakras, we call reels of light, but uh, to make sure that the energy system is online and working right. So many illnesses and problems that we have are directly related to an energy system that isn't working right. This is why we have people that do acupuncture. They try to balance that electrical system out. We do have an electrical system, the heart, the brain. These all work on electrical impulses. We're bioelectrical. And if the chemistry in the body isn't right, then the system doesn't run right. So what we try to do is put that system back online. You use feathers. You use herbs, medicine bags storytelling, all of the above? All of the above. You use what you have available. That's where I'm very grateful. There are others in the tribe that are locked into doing ceremonies, and the ceremonies have to be done a very specific way, the way they've been done for hundreds of years. I was given the privilege of being able to modify and bring them into contemporary times. You mentioned the sweat lodge. Traditionally, the sweat lodge is made from willow, the entrance or the doors, we call it, is facing a particular direction. Just a whole bunch of things that have to go on. And I'm given the privilege of saying, well, I can't get willow. I live in the desert. So I'll get some two-by-fours down at the Sacred Hardware store. 
and I'll wrap some plastic around it, and we'll get the sweat lodge done. We'll get it done. And when you say you were given the privilege to adapt, you were also known as the white priest, right, within the Cherokee tribe. Is that where your privilege comes from? Tell us a little bit about that role. That role, the white priest is somebody that just tries to keep peace and tries to keep the spirit in balance and in harmony. When I was dedicated, I was told, this is your path in life, this is what you're to do. And it's not a way to make money. In fact, you don't actually charge for what you do, do you? No, no. It's like saying that this is a gift from the Creator, and I'm going to charge you for his gift. I can't do that. I can't do that. And in terms of the white priest, there is just one, attending one time. Is that right? And, and you are able to change traditions. I can't change tradition. But one of our traditions is that if you don't have everything that you need... Use what's available to accomplish what you were sent to accomplish. So I I like working with eagle feathers. They have a very high energy. They're very beautiful to work with. But there are times I don't have eagle feathers, so I'll use turkey. They'll work. Turkey feathers. I'll use turkey. I'll use parrot. If I don't have any of those, I'll use my hands. Are you concerned at all that... Cherokee traditions are being lost, that many of the stories you tell, that the sacred information that you carry is being lost as younger Cherokee lose interest? Not really. Not really, because there are a lot of young children sitting, as we're sitting here talking, there are a lot of people around this country that are sitting with elders that are being taught the old stories. As long as these things are passed on, they'll continue. The Cherokee will always be here, simply because it's a way of life. It's a way of life, and that way of life will always continue, always continue. One native elder has said that indigenous people are the moral reserve of the world. They hold that moral reserve of the world. They're the guardians in some way. Do you share that view? Very much so, very much so. We're probably one of the few groups of people, and I don't speak for anybody, but from what I've seen, from Australia through New Zealand, Maori, all of them, We know that we have to be in balance, and being in balance is the world in balance. And we can't keep burning gas, we can't keep polluting the water, we can't keep doing these things and expect to continue. We just can't. And it's the native people that know this. And we wind up with a lot of people that say, well, it doesn't matter because, you know, 50 years I'm going to be dead and let the next group of people worry about it. As native people, we do worry about it. And we know that we have to be in balance and in harmony. And to do that, there have to be changes. There have to be changes. Do you think that we're at a critical point, that the world could end as we know it? I honestly think that it's arrogant to think that man is going to destroy what God created or grandfather created. I don't think he'll let us destroy it. I think he may take us all out of here and let all the other creatures have it so they can do what they want with it. But uh, with man... I think that man's going to be okay. I think that at some point, I don't think we're the savior of the world. That's a big thing to put on any group of people. But I think we're one group of people that can say, look, here's what you can do that helps bring balance back in. When you come out here into the desert and smoke your pipe, as you do, to communicate with your creator, what do you pray for? Or what do you talk about? Is it a talking thing or is it a prayer? It's both. My prayer is for clarity and for mercy. I think mercy is one of those things when it's shown to us, it's a little bit easier to show to others. And it's not something you go and say, look, I'm going to be merciful to you. You just do it and you move on. 
That's it. You don't leave a calling card, you know, like uh, Mr. Mercy was here and was kind to you. No, you just do it and move on. And other people say, I want to do that. I want to know what that feels like. So I think man's going to be okay. Do you find it ironic that, you know, so much of your history has been about wars, disease, forced expulsion, of course the famous Cherokee Trail of Tears when the Cherokee were forced off fertile lands from the east to the west. Do you think it's ironic that now the descendants of those people who tried to run the people, the culture, off the land are now very interested in embracing your worldview, your spirituality? I don't find it at all surprising We don't hold malice, we don't hold anger, we don't hold on to those things. There are a lot of people in different tribes that hold on to the anger. As Cherokee, I was taught that that's not something to do. Hang on to that anger just causes problems and illness for you. But we don't forget what happened. We don't. What have you got in there, in that bag? That's my pipe. Can you show me it? No. Oh, why not? It's not something like a watch or something that you show people. It's a tool. It's, to me, it's very sacred. I use it when I come out here. And what it does is it, it helps me to focus on one thing, sharing that pipe, the tobacco, with my creator. That pipe was my connection to the old ways, to my creator. I don't want a cell phone. I don't want any of those things. I don't want any of those things interrupting my time with my creator. When I'm out in the circle with that pipe, I don't want anybody disturbing me. C.J. White, dear, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jane. You've been listening to Things Unseen, the programme for people who wonder if there's not more to life than meets the eye. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.